Section 22 of Folklore and Legend Scandinavian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt Troutwine. Folklore and Legend Scandinavian by Charles John Tibbets. The Legend of Thorgunna. A ship from Iceland chanced to winter in a haven near Hogafels. Among the passengers was a woman named Thorgunna, a native of the Hebrides, who was reported by the sailors to possess garments and household furniture of a fashion far surpassing those used in Iceland. Thurida, sister of Pontus Snaro and wife of Thorod, a woman of a vain and covetous disposition, attracted by these reports, made a visit to the stranger, but could not prevail upon her to display her treasures. Persisting, however, in her inquiries, she pressed Thorgana to take up her abode at the house of Thorod. The Hebridean reluctantly assented, but added that as she could labor at every usual kind of domestic industry, she trusted in that manner to discharge the obligations she might lie under to the family without giving any part of her property in recompense of her lodging. As Thorida continued to urge her request, Thorgana accompanied her to Froda, the house of Thorod, where the seamen deposited a huge chest and cabinet containing the property of her new guest, which Thorida viewed with curious and covetous eyes. So soon as they had pointed out to Thurgunna the place assigned for her bed, she opened the chest and took forth such an embroidered bed coverlid and such a splendid and complete set of tapestry hangings and bed furniture of English linen interwoven with silk as had never been seen in Iceland. Sell to me said the covetous matron, this fair bed furniture. Believe me, answered Thurgunna, I will not lie upon straw in order to feed my pomp and vanity. An answer which so greatly displeased Thurida that she never again repeated her request. Thurgunna, to whose character subsequent events added something of a mystical solemnity, is described as being a woman of a tall and stately appearance, of a dark complexion, and having a profusion of black hair. She was advanced in age, assiduous in the labors of the field and of the loom, faithful attendant upon divine worship, grave, silent, and solemn in domestic society. She had little intercourse with the household of Thorod, and showed particular dislike to two of its inmates. These were Thoror, having lost a leg in the skirmish between Thorbjorn and Thorian the Black, was called Thor Widlegger, Woodenleg from the substitute he had adopted, and his wife Thorgrima, called Galdrakina, wicked sorceress, from her supposed skill in enhancements. Kierton, the son of Thurida, a boy of excellent promise, was the only person of the household to whom Thurgana showed much affection, and she was much vexed at times when the childish petulance of the boy made an indifferent return to her kindness. After the mysterious stranger had dwelt at Froda for some time, and while she was laboring in the hayfield with the other members of the family, a sudden cloud from the northern mountain led Thorod to anticipate a heavy shower. He instantly commanded the hay-workers to pile up in ricks the quantity which each had been engaged in turning to the wind. It was afterwards remembered that Thurgunna did not pile up her portion, but left it spread on the field. The clouds approached with great celerity and sank so heavily around the farm that it was scarce possible to see beyond the limits of the field. A heavy shower next ascended, 
and so soon as the clouds broke away and the sun shone forth, it was observed that it had rained blood. That which fell upon the ricks of the other laborers soon dried up, but what Thorgana had wrought upon remained wet with gore. The unfortunate Herbridean, appalled at the omen, betook herself to her bed, and was seized with mortal illness. On the approach of death, she summoned Thorod, her landlord, and entrusted to him the disposition of her property and effects. Let my body, said she, be transported to Skullholt, for my mind presages that in that place shall be founded the most distinguished church in this island. Let my golden ring be given to the priest who shall celebrate my obsequies, and do thou indemnify thyself for the funeral charges out of my remaining effects. To thy wife I bequeath my purple mantle, in order that, by this sacrifice to her avarice, I may secure the right of disposing of the rest of my effects at my own pleasure. But for my bed, with its coverings, hangings, and furniture, I entreat that they all be consigned to the flames. I do not desire this because I envy any one the possession of these things after my death, but because I wish those evils to be avoided which I plainly foresee will happen if my will be altered in the slightest particular. Thorod promised faithfully to execute this extraordinary testament in the most exact manner. Accordingly, so soon as Thorgana was dead, her faithful executor prepared a pile for burning her splendid bed. Thurida entered, and learned with anger and astonishment the purpose of these preparations. To the remonstrances of her husband she answered that the menaces of future danger were only caused by Thorgana's selfish envy, who did not wish any one should enjoy her treasures after her decease. Then, finding Thorod inaccessible to argument, she had recourse to caresses and blandishments, and at length extorted permission to separate from the rest of the bed furniture the tapestried curtains and coverlid. The rest was consigned to the flames in obedience with the will of the testator. The body of Thurgana, being wrapped in new linen and placed in a coffin, was next to be transported through the precipices and morasses of Iceland to the distant district she had assigned for her place of sepulture. A remarkable incident occurred on the way. The transporters of the body arrived at evening, late, weary, and drenched with rain, in a house called Nether Ness, where the niggard hospitality of the proprietor only afforded them house room, without any supply of food or fuel. But, soon as they entered, an unwanted noise heard in the kitchen of the mansion, and the figure of a woman, soon recognized to be the deceased Thorgana, was seen busily employed in preparing victuals. Their inhospitable landlord, being made acquainted with this frightful circumstance, readily agreed to supply every refreshment which was necessary, on which the vision instantly disappeared. The apparition, having become public, they had no reason to ask twice for hospitality as they proceeded on their journey, and they came to Skalholt, where Thagana, with all due ceremonies of religion, was deposited quietly in the grave. But the consequences of the breach of her testament were felt severely at Froda. The dwelling at Froda was a simple and patriarchal structure, built according to the fashion used by the wealthy among the Icelanders. The apartments were very large, and a part boarded off contained the beds of the family. 
On either side was a sort of storeroom, one of which contained meal, the other dried fish. Every evening large fires were lighted in this apartment for dressing the victuals, and the domestics of the family usually sat around them for a considerable time until supper was prepared. On the night when the conductors of Thorgana's funeral returned to Froda, there appeared, visible to all who were present, a meteor or spectral appearance resembling a half-moon which glided around the boarded walls of the mansion in an opposite direction of the course of the sun, and continued to perform its revolutions until the domestics retired to rest. This apparition was renewed every night during a whole week, and was pronounced by Thor with a wooden leg to presage pestilence or mortality. Shortly after, a herdsman showed signs of mental alienation, and gave various indications of having sustained the persecution of evil demons. This man was found dead in his bed one morning, and then commenced a scene of ghost-seeing unheard of in the annals of superstition. First victim was Thoror, who had presaged the calamity. Going out of doors one evening, he was grappled by the specter of the deceased shepherd as he attempted to re-enter the house. His wooden leg stood him in poor steed in such an encounter. He was hurled to the earth, and so fearfully beaten, that he died in consequence of the bruises. Thor was no sooner dead than his ghost associated itself with that of the herdsman, and joined him in pursuing and assaulting the inhabitants of Froda. Meantime, an infectious disorder spread fast among them, and several of the bondsmen died one after the other. Strange portents were seen within doors. The meal was displaced and mingled, and the dried fish flung about in the most alarming manner without any visible agent. At length, while the servants were forming their evening circle round the fire, a spectre, resembling the head of a seagullfish, was seen to emerge out of the pavement of the room, bending its round black eyes full on the tapestried bed-curtains of Thurgana. Some of the domestics ventured to strike at this figure, but far from giving way, it rather erected itself further from the floor, until Kyrton, who seemed to have natural predominance over these supernatural prodigies, seizing a huge forge-hammer, struck the seal repeatedly on the head, and compelled it to disappear, forcing it down into the floor, as if it had driven a stake into the earth. The prodigy was found to intimate a new calamity. Thorod, the master of the family, had some time before set forth on a voyage to bring home a cargo of dried fish. But in crossing the river Inna, the skiff was lost, and he perished with the servants who attended him. A solemn funeral feast was held at Froda, in memory of the deceased, when, to the astonishment of the guests, the apparition of Thorod and his followers seemed to enter the apartment dripping with water. Yet this vision excited less horror than might have been expected, for the Icelanders, though nominally Christians, retained, among other pagan superstitions, a belief that the spectres of such drowned persons as had been favorably received by the goddess Rana were wont to show themselves at their funeral feast. They saw, therefore, with some composure, Thorod and his dripping attendants plant themselves by the fire, from which all mortal guests retreated to make room for them. It was supposed this apparition would not be renewed after the conclusion of the festival, but so far were their hopes disappointed that, so soon as the morning guests had departed, the fires being lighted, Thorod and his comrades marched in on one side, 
drenched as before with water. On the other entered Thor, heading all of those who had died in pestilence, and who appeared covered with dust. Both parties seized the seats by the fire, while the half-frozen and terrified domestics spent the night without either light or warmth. The same phenomenon took place the next night, though the fires had been lighted in a separate house, and at length Kierton was obligated to compound matters with the spectres by kindling a large fire for them in the principal apartment and one for the family and domestics in a separate hut. This prodigy continued during the whole feast of Joel. Other portents also happened to appall this devoted family. The contagious disease again broke forth, and when any one fell a sacrifice to its spectre, was sure to join the troop of persecutors, who had now almost full possession of the mansion of Froda. Thorgrima Galdrakina, wife of Thor, was one of these victims, and in short, of thirty servants belonging to the household, eighteen died, five fled for fear of the apparitions, so that only seven remained in the service of Kierton. Kierton had now recourse to the advice of his maternal uncle Snorro, in consequence of whose counsel, which will perhaps appear surprising to the reader, judicial measures were instituted against the spectres. A Christian priest was, however, associated with Thordokasa, son of Snorro, and with Kierton, to superintend and sanctify the proceedings. The inhabitants were regularly summoned to attend upon the inquest, as in a cause between man and man, and the assembly was constituted before the gate of the mansion just as the spectres had assumed their wonted position by the fire. Kierton boldly ventured to approach them, and snatching a brand from the fire, he commanded the tapestry belonging to Thorgana to be carried out of doors, set fire to it, and reduced it to ashes with all other ornaments of her bed, which had been so inconsiderately preserved at the request of Thurida. A tribunal then being constituted with usual legal solemnities, a charge was preferred by Kierton against Thor with a wooden leg, by Thordokasa against Thorod, and by others chosen as accusers against the individual spectres present, accusing them of molesting the mansion and introducing death and disease among its inhabitants. All the solemn rites of the judicial procedure were observed on this singular occasion. Evidence was adduced, charges given, and the cause formally decided. It does not appear that the ghosts put themselves on their defense, so that sentence of ejectment was pronounced against them individually in due and legal form. When Thor heard the judgment, he arose and saying, I have set while it was lawful for me to do so, left the apartment by the door opposite to that at which the judicial assembly was constituted. Each of the specters, as it heard its individual sentence, left the place saying something which indicated its unwillingness to depart, until Thorod himself was solemnly called on to leave. We have here no longer, said he, a peaceful dwelling, therefore will we remove. Kierton then entered the hall with his followers, and the priest, with holy water, in celebration of a solemn mass, completed the conquest over the goblins, which had been commenced by the power and authority of the Icelandic law. End of The Legend of Thorgana Recording by Kurt Troutwine